Now, I know that at every one of your campuses today, you talked about 9-11 already, the campus pastor did, and I just kind of wanted to add um, my thoughts to that as well. You know, it was 20 years ago this weekend that we experienced an attack on American soil where 3,000 innocent Americans were killed. It's a day, if you were alive then, it's a day most all of us will remember. I know I was in my office uh, in a counseling session, actually, and uh, they knocked on my door, and, which was unusual, and I opened the door, and they said, we need to see you out in the atrium. And I said, well, I'm a little busy right now. And they're like, well, actually, we need to see you, and probably this couple should come with you. Couldn't imagine what it was. We went out into the atrium just right out here, and uh, there was a television set up, and all the staff was out there watching, and I'm thinking, what are they doing? And the TV was on, and as I, just as I walked out, literally walked out, it was like 8.45, just walked out as the second plane hit the tower. And I mean, they're in gasping and shock, and I'm like, is this a movie? I'm still not connecting the dots of what's going on. And they're like, Steve, this is happening in real time. This is New York. And it was just such uh, a horrifying experience, and I know every one of you remember where you were at and what you were doing. You know, on the day of Pearl Harbor, Franklin Roosevelt said, this day will go down in infamy. Well, friends, September 11th, 2001, will be a date forever etched on the minds of Americans. And so I know, uh, again, the campus pastors have prayed, but I, I want to pray again as we go into the uh, uh, message tonight. Father, I thank you and I praise you, Lord God, that we can bring all things to you. We can bring all of our hurts and emotions to you, all of our struggles and concerns. Today we humbly come into your presence and we remember, God, every one of us remember that horrible day. We remember the shock that we felt when the towers fell and so many lives were lost. God, we remember the despair and the grief. We remember watching the, the first responders bravely run into the building to try and save lives, only to lose their own. That pain still resonates deeply within each one of us. That day is a, a stark reminder of just how desperately our world needs Jesus. And so, God, we just lift up the families and loved ones of those that have lost their lives on that September 11th, 20 years ago, and how their families were robbed of important people in their lives. Would you please comfort them as this anniversary returns once again and they think about it? We also pray for the scores of people who continue to struggle with their own mental and emotional issues caused by this horrific event. And God, we also pray for our nation as a whole, that you would break down the anger and hostility that exists, and that, God, you would bring peace and unity to our nation once again. Help us, oh God, help us, oh God, to love one another as you loved us. As believers, help us to understand that's our responsibility and obligation, regardless of the differences we may feel. We continue to pray that you would inspire this nation to once again be a nation under God, one that seeks to glorify and honor and praise you. And God, we would, we would also say a prayer for all those first responders in this country who continually put their lives on the line for each one of us. Would you bless and protect them? God, thanks for all the ways that you're blessing Northview Church. And we pray that you would just continue to bless and use us, God, but we also continue to pray that you would bless and use every church that's preaching your gospel. 
I pray specifically today for Crossroads Community Church in Kokomo. Thank you for that incredible congregation and the way that you're using them and for their new pastor, Luke Smith. I pray, God, that we could link arms together to make a difference throughout central Indiana. And now, God, as we move into this, into this new series that we've been in, or this new series that we're moving into called Chosen, I pray, dear God, that you would use it to challenge every one of us in our spiritual journeys. Thanks, God. We love you and we praise you. And we just ask it all now in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, when I was in grade school, my favorite class, this might surprise you, my favorite class was recess. Yeah, others shared the same. If we could get a grade for recess, I'm telling you, I would have got an A. I loved, we either played on the playground, we'd either play kickball or dodgeball every single day, and I absolutely loved them both. Dodgeball was my favorite. I, I really never heard, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I never heard it called dodgeball until I moved to Indiana. In Missouri, we called it bombardment. <laughs> it was brutal. I loved it. It was just a, it was a fun game. I think most kids enjoy recess. I'm sure your kids enjoy recess. And yet there is a part of recess that a lot of kids dread. And that is the picking of a team. Maybe, maybe you've seen this Capital One commercial. Watch this. The top-rated app that lets you deposit checks and transfer money anytime, anywhere. Banking with Capital One is like the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Kind of like... I'll take Barkley. Yes, I still got it. I told you she picked me first. Yep, even easier than that. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And so they would pick the two best players in sports as the captains, and they'd go back and forth, and they would start choosing the kids that they wanted on their team. And of course, every kid wants to be chosen. You'd stand there with all kinds of thoughts going through your head. Will they, will they pick me or not? Will either team want me? Am I good enough to be chosen? And dear God, please don't let me be picked last. There's nothing quite as humbling as being picked last, wondering if anybody even wants you. It's like your entire worth feels like it's hanging in the balance. Listen, guys, we all want to fit in. We all want to feel like we matter. Even as adults, it doesn't just stop in our childhood. Even as adults, we wonder, Will that university choose me? Will I be chosen for that particular job I've applied for? Will anyone choose to be in a relationship with me? Or will anyone choose to be my friend? Have you ever found yourself questioning your worth? It's a silly question because I know all of us have. We've all wrestled with our identity and who we really are. And every day those feelings seem to change based on how life seems to be going for us, based on your relationship status, based on how your job is going, based on how you look in the mirror that day, based on how many likes you get on social media, based on how I even feel about myself. And then you begin to wonder, what about God? Would He even choose me? Maybe I'm not even good enough for God. Well, today, guys, we're going to start our annual spiritual growth campaign called Chosen. And for those of you that are newer to our church, every year, we've been doing this now for about a decade, maybe longer, 
we, every fall, we do a spiritual growth campaign where we really try to focus in on one particular topic and try to engage everybody, a topic that we feel like will help us to grow into the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, to grow in our spiritual journey. And we try to encourage everybody during the spiritual growth campaign to get into a life group. And so we want you to, everybody, if we can, to get you into life group, even if it's only for these six weeks, we want to get everybody in there. Now, this particular spiritual growth campaign is called Chosen. And of course, I've been asked numerous times, is, does that mean we're doing a series on the new television uh, program called Chosen? No, that's not what we're doing at all. Great program, by the way, if I could just do a little bit for them right now. If you've not seen Chosen, The Life of Christ, you need to watch it. It is the best that has ever been done. I wouldn't say that. You know I don't recommend movies up here very often, very seldom. But that one is one I think every family needs to see. And if you've only seen the first one and you didn't capture, you need to watch at least two of them. And I think it'll capture your heart. But we're talking about in this particular series on Chosen, and there's a lot of pieces to this that I'm going to unfold over the next several weeks, but we're mainly talking about your identity in Christ, what it means to be chosen by God. Now, during this series, again, I want to encourage everybody, if you would, to engage in a life group, even if it's just for this six weeks. And I would encourage you to try to be here for six weeks. I say it every year. Some of you maybe had planned a vacation or, or you had a, a, a trip with your job planned. Cancel it. You need to be here for six weeks, seriously, if at all possible. Now, I'll explain later, uh, I'll explain all this later, but it's so important that you're a part of this, especially in the first couple of weeks, or excuse me, especially in week uh, four and five. Now, those weeks, I'd love to tell you more about that, but I'll give it away. So don't miss weeks five and six because I really think that you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> don't miss it because you're going to say, why did I miss it? And so I don't want that to happen. First, let's, let's jump into this today, and we're going to talk about uh, who God is. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, guys, I'm just going to tell you, this is basic stuff today. I want you to stay with me. This is basic stuff. This is the fundamentals of Christianity, but I really believe it's important because it sets up the rest of this series. And it reminds me, do you remember the quote of Vince Lombardi? It's a famous quote. Vince Lombardi was, was new to the Green Bay Packers, and he went into training camp on that very first day. And as he walked in with these professional football players, these guys that have been playing football most of their life, and he walks into the training camp, and what does he do? He holds up a football, and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. Now, that just seems crazy, but that, that particular quote has stayed around because everybody understood what he was doing. He's going back to the fundamentals. He's going back to the basics because that's where you've got to start. And I really believe I'm trying to build a foundation with you over the next few weeks. And so we need to start. It's basic stuff, but I want you to get it. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1, he says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created 
things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created. This is important. All things have been created through him and for him. Talking about Jesus. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I love this particular passage in Colossians chapter 1, but I love the entire book of Colossians. In fact, I'll just tell you now that in the spring, I'm going to do a series on the book of Colossians. There's just so much that we can get there. In Genesis chapter 1, then it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's clear from those passages, both Old and New Testament, it's clear that God created all things. So God in this perfect, God is this perfect sinless God who has always existed and brought all things into being. He then created, once he'd created all the earth and and, and all the whole universe, he then created mankind. He created you and me. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, and male and female, he created them. So God created Adam and Eve to be in fellowship or to be in relationship with him. Again, these are the fundamentals. We need to understand this. He created Adam and Eve because he wanted to be in relationship with them. He put them in the Garden of Eden, and he basically said what? He basically said, this is all yours. This perfect thing that I've created for you, this wonderful thing that I've created for you, it's all yours. Except just don't eat of this one tree in the middle of the garden. But what do they do? Right out of the gate, they're tempted by the serpent, they're tempted by Lucifer, and they disobey God and do what? They eat of the tree. The only thing, they said it's all yours, the only thing you can't do is eat of the tree, and what do they do? They eat of the tree. And because of that, sin enters the world. And so in Romans chapter 5, it says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Sin does what? You hear me talk about it all the time at the end of a message. Sin creates, because of sin, that relationship with God is broken, and there's this great chasm. There's this great gulf between us and God. And so from that moment on, man has been trying to build a bridge back to God. Man has been trying to figure out how to get back to God on their own. And they thought, well, if I give enough money, that'll do it. And it didn't work. Well, if I, if I do enough good deeds, that'll build a bridge. It didn't work. Or if I go to church on a regular basis, that'll build a bridge. And it didn't work. Guys, no matter what I try, there isn't anything that we can do to mend the gap that separates us from God. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, he says, for the wages, or in other words, the penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible, Paul is telling us as he writes in Romans, he said, you know what, you and I, we deserve to die for the sin that is in our life. I certainly don't deserve God's forgiveness, and there's certainly no way that I can earn my way to heaven. But here's the good news. God loves us more than we could ever begin to comprehend or imagine. He didn't want to leave us in this state of helplessness. He didn't want to leave us in this state of hopelessness, but he wanted to provide a way when there was no way. So in order to build a bridge back to God, what did he do? He sent his one and only son, Jesus. So Jesus gets up from his seat in heaven. He gets off of his throne and he comes to this earth as that baby in a manger. He sets aside his deity and he comes as that baby in a manger, which is the Christmas story. It's the story we tell our children we want them to grow up with. We want them to understand the Christmas story. He then grows into a man, the Scripture tells us, 
And it says, and its scripture makes it very, very clear in several places, not just in one passage, but in several passages, that Jesus never sinned. And therefore, by dying on the cross, he became a sinless sacrifice for your sins and for mine. In other words, he became our bridge back to God. When he died in our place, we deserve to die, Jesus died in our place because he was a sinless sacrifice. He built a bridge back to God. In other words, he stepped inside of that chasm, he took God's hand and your hand and brought you back together again in a relationship. In 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. And of course, we know three days later what happened. Three days later, Jesus raised from the grave. He raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, he changed the power of sin and death. Sin no longer has a grip on us. Before we're Christians, sin has a hold, sin has a grip on us. But once we invite Christ into our life, that hold, that grip that sin had is broken because of what Christ did on the cross and because of his resurrection power. Friends, do you see that God has made a way when there was no way? We were doomed to to eternal death because of our sin. He was then seen, the scripture tells us, he was then seen by several hundred followers before he ascended back to heaven, where he's waiting for that day when he's going to come again. You, do, you know that, right? Jesus Christ is coming back again for his church. I could easily get off on this because I believe it's going to happen very soon. But Jesus Christ is coming back again for his chosen ones. Nobody knows the day, nobody knows the hour, we only know the seasons, we only know the signs to watch for when it's close. And I I believe with everything within my heart, we're in that the last of the last days that Christ is coming soon. And so our part is what? Our part is to believe and then repent or turn from our sin. Repent means what? Repent's not just saying I'm sorry. Repent means to turn 180 degrees and go the other direction. To receive this precious gift of forgiveness, to invite Christ into our life is to receive this precious gift of forgiveness that he has offered you and me, his chosen ones. And according to the Bible, this, my friends, is how a person is saved. There's no other way to build a bridge to God. I don't care what a good guy you are, what a good lady you are, it doesn't matter. We cannot earn our way to heaven. We don't deserve heaven. We deserve to die is what the scripture just said but he made a way when there was no way. This is how we can make him the boss of our life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you are not your own, but you were bought with a price. Once we step across that line of faith, we then commit to seek after him. We're making a commitment. We recognize that we deserve to die for our sin. Once we step across the line of faith, we're making a commitment to seek after him and to follow him for the rest of our life. That's why we say, I surrender all. This isn't a part-time gig. This isn't a, this isn't a weekend warrior. You know, I'll, I'll follow and serve him on the weekends and then the rest of the week is mine. This is 100% commitment. This is saying, God, I'm all in. I'm surrendering my life to you because you paid the price for my forgiveness. In Romans chapter 10, 
It says if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, this is what I want you to hear me say today. You matter to God. I I, I don't know what opinions you have of yourself. I don't know how you're you're struggling with your own self-worth, but I want you to hear me say, you matter to God. He absolutely loves you beyond what you could ever imagine. Not only does he love you, but hear me on this, please. He chose you. God chose you. Before the world was ever made, God chose you. Before sin ever entered the world, God chose you in Christ to be with him through all eternity. So no, I don't don't care. Guys, listen to me. I, I don't care how ugly you might think you are. I don't care how weak you think you are or insignificant you might think you are or talentless you feel like you are. God's not stuck with you. He picked you. You matter to him. Before you were ever in your mother's womb, the scripture tells us that he picked you. Please, friends, if you've never before, try to wrap your brain around that. Try to grasp what I'm telling you today because it's matter. It may feel simple, but it's important. It matters. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. Guys, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness. He called you out of sin into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. See, guys, your identity is found in Christ. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. God chose you as part of the elect to be with him now, a relationship with him now, and through all eternity. In John chapter 15, it says, you did not choose me. This is a big deal. You did not choose me. Some of you think, well, you know, I I chose Jesus in my life. No, you didn't choose me. Jesus said, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. You've been chosen by God. He absolutely loves you. So Steve, why would God choose me? He loves you and he desires that all of us, every single one of us would be saved. Let that sink in for just a moment. His desire is that all mankind would be saved. The God of all creation, the God that spoke the entire universe into existence, loves you and wants to be in relationship with you. So Steve, are you saying that God predestined me to salvation? Well, yes, actually I am. But let me clarify what I believe about predestination. I know you've heard that term before and you've probably heard it taught many different ways. Let me tell you what I believe that particular word means in scripture. Because there are those, I'm telling you, there are those that believe that predestination means that somehow God has already predetermined who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. That you don't really have a choice in this matter because God made the determination before you were ever born. 
they also teach something called limited atonement. In other words, Jesus died for the elect or for the chosen ones, and you have absolutely nothing to say about your eternal destination. Well, guys, if that's true, then why do we bother trying to reach the lost? If it's already been predetermined, then why do we spend so much time and effort and money trying to reach out to our friends? If God's already made the determination, why do I care? Why do I need to worry about it for? Listen, I do not believe that that's what the Scripture teaches at all about predestination. In Acts chapter 2, it says, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not just, the one God's, not just the one God said, okay, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell. God says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I think the Bible makes it clear that God died for all mankind. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved. Did you see that? Wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people, this has now been witnessed at the proper time. First John chapter 2, it says, He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Jesus didn't die for just those that have been the elect or predestined, and the rest are not elect or not predestined. He died for all mankind. So yes, I certainly do believe that those who are saved are predestined by God. But in the sense that God is om- omniscient. You know, we know that God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. And He's also omniscient, or in other words, He's all-knowing. So He knew who was going to respond to the gospel, and who would not. But it does not take away from a person's free will or freedom to respond to the Holy Spirit. So guys, when the Scripture talks about the elect, who's it talking about? The elect are those that have said yes to Jesus. The elect are those that have responded yes to Jesus. The elect are God's chosen. Think of it like this. I was trying to think of an example, but just try to picture this analogy in your mind. You're driving down the freeway of life. You're just going with the flow. It feels like all the cars are going, you know, 70 miles an hour, and you're just following the flow with everybody else. You're just doing your own thing. And yet, if you're honest, as you're driving down the road of life, you're feeling kind of empty. You're feeling unsatisfied. You're feeling frustrated or maybe alone. As you're driving, you notice an off-ramp up ahead, and it's leading to a building with a large door on the front. And on the outside of that door, you see the words, whosoever will, let him come. It's on the door, whosoever will, let him come. We know in Revelation chapter 22, it says, the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. So you see this with this sign, whosoever will, let him come. And maybe you've talked to people in the past that have taken this off-ramp, and they've raved about the difference that it made in their lives. And you thought about how much you would love to experience that kind of peace. And yet, if you're honest, you're a little fearful. You're a little fearful of getting off this freeway of life because everybody else seems to be going 70 miles an hour down the freeway of life. 
It seems like everyone else in your world is headed down this highway. And yet, you want something more. You know, you've tried different things to fulfill the emptiness that you're feeling and you're not finding it. You want something more. You want something with meaning. You want something with purpose. So you decide to do it one day. You take the off-ramp and you drive up right up to the door. You're about ready to open up the door when you remember someone told you that this, was, this is just for the elect. And so now all of a sudden you begin to question your decision. You wonder what happens if I'm turned away because I'm not considered a part of the elect. So you change your mind and you get back in your car and get back on the freeway of life. But every day you just continue to pass by this, this exit. You just continue to see this building with whosoever will on the front door. Whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. And one day as you drive by, you think, you know what, what, what do I have to lose? I'm doing this. And so again, you pull your car off the freeway and you walk right over to that door and you open it and you walk right in. And to your total surprise, on the other side of the door are the words, you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. You were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And it hits you right in the face and you think, oh my gosh, you mean God chose me? God chose me before I was ever born? Yes, absolutely he chose you. You know, Charles Spurgeon maybe is a name that you've heard before. It was a great revivalist preacher back in the late 1800s, and he said it this way. He said, it's a good thing that God chose me before I was born, because if he had waited until after I was born, he might have changed his mind. <laughs> I also like how the great evangelist D.L. Moody said at one time, he said, the whosoever wills are the elect. The whosoever wants are the non-elect. Because really, that's what it comes down to. That's what we're talking about with predestination. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, not wanting anyone to perish. It's not that whole thing that God shows some for the elect and others not. It's, it's just not biblical because all throughout the New Testament, you see the scripture. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to be saved. But everyone, he wants everyone to come to repentance. It's that simple. God wants all of us to follow him. While the devil, well, let me say it a different way. God wants all of us to be saved while the devil wants everyone to be damned. But guess what? You and I, we get to cast the deciding vote. I get to either accept or reject. You see, it's my call for my life, and it's your call for your life. No, nobody else can determine that decision but you for your life. The actual moment of salvation we need to understand is an act of the Holy Spirit. You can't be saved without the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You can't do this on your own because it's God that does the salvation. Jesus said in John chapter 6, he said, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. No one can come to me. There is no salvation unless the Holy Spirit draws them. And at the last day, I then will raise them up. And once we're saved, once we step across the line of faith, we then have a responsibility let me say that stronger. We then have an obligation to help others discover a relationship with Jesus Christ. Guys, like it or not, we are God's hands and feet. 
This, this isn't just about clergy. This isn't just about elders in a church or teachers in a church or somebody with some special calling in their life. This is about every believer. We are God's hands and feet. We are his mouthpiece. And he works the way he's chosen to work. I don't know why, but the way he's chosen to work is through you and through me. So when it comes to a person discovering a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is God's part and then there is our part. And our part is to do what? Our part is to appeal to people to plant the seed about God's amazing love. God's part is to do what? It's to make the seed grow. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he said it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters works together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. Our responsibility, my friends, is to reach as many people as we possibly can with the gospel message, to help them know that no matter what they've done, no matter how many mistakes they've made, God loves them, and they have been chosen by Him. In Acts chapter 13, it says, when the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for His message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. Friends, I don't care who you are. I don't care how many mistakes you've made. You need to know God loves you. And you need to know you have been chosen by God. Before you were ever born, God chose you. And it's his heart's desire to be in relationship with you. You know, um, every day on my way home from work, my office down at our 65th Benford campus, and every day on my way home, I notice, I can't help but notice, there's a, a guy sitting there at 82nd and Allisonville. It's a really busy intersection, as you know. And as I pass through that intersection, there's a guy sitting there. A few times there's been a lady as well, but there's a guy sitting there got a little five-gallon bucket he sits on oftentimes, but he's got his cardboard sign. And you've seen it, whether you've been there or, or seen it somewhere else. We've all seen it. We've seen it in downtown. We've, we've seen it at an intersection. We, we've seen it at an off-ramp on a highway. And there are people that are standing there, and they're holding their signs. And their signs communicate what? Their signs communicate in just a few simple words that communicates their hurt or it communicates the problem that they're struggling with. Maybe it says, I don't know, we'll work for food, please help, homeless. Can you spare a dollar, I'm hungry. I don't know, whatever it says, it's a simple way for them to share their pain. It's a simple way for them to share their current struggle with you or me. It's a cry of help to all pedestrians or motorists that happen to be passing by or walking by. I wonder what, what would your cardboard say? If today I handed out a piece of cardboard to every one of you and I said, I just want you to take a few minutes and in as few words as possible, how would you communicate your pain? How would you communicate your hurt? What would you write? There's so many different things. I thought about it. There's so many different things that I would write. I thought about my younger years and I thought, Mine would be, 
driven by worldly success. But now that I recognize that I've been chosen of God, I'm rescued by His love. I'm rescued by the love of God.